0: Good morning. morning. The scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, and it can be found on page 6 of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God?
1: Thank you, Kristen. Well, we're still moving through our study of the book of 1 Corinthians little by little, step by step, and here we land today on the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, and we'll cover uh, much of parts of the first 11 verses, and let's pause and pray first. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we're coming to you because we're desperate for your word. You tell us your word gives us life. Your word holds us together. Your word gives us life. And, and so we're not just coming to here, just just teaching. We're coming here to get life. We're coming here to get Jesus. And God, you know, for me, I how I feel weak in this moment. But I want to Hold on to your promise that it's in my weakness that your strength, your power is made perfect. And So I want to believe that you can use me, that you could use this time. And I pray that that promise would be true for every one of us. We're all weak in different ways. Weak to obey. Weak to uh, grasp hard things in your word. Weak uh, to want to follow you. Weak in our distractedness. But please come now and make your power perfect in our weakness. Show us Jesus Change our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The people are real. The cases are real. The rulings are final. This is her courtroom. This is Judge Judy. Now, not many of you spoke up there and filled in that blank, but I'm going to assume more of you are big fans of Judge Judy than maybe you're willing to admit. You may know the show. It's a reality TV courtroom show uh, where real-life small-claim disputes are brought before Judge Judy Scheindlin, who you know is known for her sharp wit and her even sharper tongue. Uh, She's got some sassy one-liners, man. Uh, For example, in one case involving a hairdresser and a customer, a dispute over payment, Judge Judy looks at the defendant and said, you spent $72 getting your hair done, you wasted your money, right? That, that's, that's the judge talking to you, right? Now, I'm not saying Judge Judy is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote this section of his letter to the Corinthian church. But I will say that Paul is saying that the way that they were handling disputes in their community wasn't too much better than if they had been dragging each other to Judge Judy's courtroom. Not too much better. Well, why was that the case? Why would I say that? Let's take a look. What do we find in this passage, three things. Number one, a warning about lawsuits. Secondly, number two, the will to be right. And thirdly, the wealth to be wrong. So number one, the first thing we see is a warning about lawsuits. The Corinthian Christians had gotten into the habit of suing each other taking fellow Christian members to court. They had developed what the old reformer and theologian John Calvin described as an excessive fondness for litigation. That's why in verse 1 Paul addresses the situations in which any of you has a dispute with one another. That word dispute has a legal sense, a legal dispute. And verse 6 points out how one brother takes another to court. And again in verse 7, you have lawsuits among you. And The Apostle Paul provides a basic response right away in the second half of verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? In other words, should God, Christians take legal action against one another in civil court? Generally speaking, no. The matter, rather, should be handled personally. Either personally, each party working it out with one another, or within the church. Even if that's with the assistance of someone with legal training and expertise. You know, just earlier this morning, I heard my wife say to my kids, that's not how you work out your problems. You need to talk it out and use your words. You know, that's pretty good advice for adults, too. And it's pretty close to what Paul is saying here. Christians should resolve conflicts and disputes among themselves rather than taking each other to court. But it's important to understand why. What are the reasons why? Our passage isn't long, but it's pretty dense. And so let me try to unpack some of this for you. Why should Christians refrain from suing each other? He gives us three reasons and some more. But first three, reason number one, you're family. You are family. Four times in this passage, Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians That they are spiritual siblings in Christ. For example, verse 6 but instead one brother takes another brother to court. In verse 8 instead you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. He's reminding them that the promise of the gospel is that when we come into relationship with God through Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're brought into relationship, not only with God, but with one another. We're brought into God's family. God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, and we now relate to one another as spiritual siblings. Recently, while watching the Olympics, you can tell I've been watching a lot of Olympics lately, Watching the Olympics with someone, we were uh, recalling together this story from years ago of a former Olympian who actually went out of her way to sue her parents. And the story made headline news because no matter the details of the case, whether that was a just suit or not, lawsuits among family members, and especially between a parent and a child, and she was still a teenager at this time, they're unusual. And they're definitely tragic. See, Paul is just making a similar point here. Listen, you are family. But you're treating each other like legal enemies. Uh, You shouldn't sue one another. Why? Reason number one, you're family. But reason number two, you're holy. In verse 1 and verse 2, our passage refers to the church as the Lord's people. And that can also be translated, that phrase can be translated, the holy one. Holy simply means set apart, radically different because of the love of God that is applied upon you. In other words, Christians should handle their internal conflicts in a way that's holy, that's different, that's distinct from the way that conflict is handled in the world. That's why several times a clear contrast is made in this passage between the tribunals that are being led by judges who are unbelievers. Like in verse 6, but instead one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers. And the point here is not that judges who aren't Christians aren't trustworthy or are inferior judges or have inferior legal competence simply because of the difference that they have in faith. Actually, this very same apostle, Paul, in Romans 13, instructs Christians to honor all civil authorities, regardless of their faith, because, he says, they've been ordained by God. That would include judges as well. Rather, the point here, though, is to point out that God's people are holy. You're you're distinct from the world. You abide by different standards for your relationships. You're called to a higher degree of respect and love and a deeper obligation because of the love of Christ that you share with one another to work out your beef. Lawsuits should be the last resort. So why, he queries, has it become your very first impulse for solving conflicts among you you're holy, brothers and sisters. Reason number three that the apostle gives for why they should not just be jumping into lawsuits with one another is that you are not only family and not only holy, but you are also competent. Verses two and three tell us this. Do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, how are you not, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? What's going on there? Paul is referring to all different sorts of places in the Bible, for example, Matthew 19, that tell us that when Jesus returns and renews all things in this world, he will sit on his throne as the judge over the whole world and that all of his followers will also be seated on thrones and share in his glory as sort of deputy judges, distinguishing between right and wrong, maintaining moral order in this world. And that's why Paul says, if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge these trivial Cases. In other words, even now, not just in the future, but even now, God has given you more than enough ability to figure out these arguments. Stop running to court at the first sight of conflict. Start practicing your future job description. You have at your disposal in Jesus more than enough wisdom, dear friend. To figure out these problems. You have more than enough moral authority. You have more than enough spiritual and relational resources. To figure out these petty disputes. So stop punting them. And grapple with them. With all that God has given to you by way of his wisdom. To figure out your relationship. Paul gives us reason after reason after reason for saying that, look, here's a warning against lawsuits. Don't just jump into them. Figure these things out one to another in face-to-face relationships. And of course, at this point, many of you might be saying to yourself, and maybe even checking out a little bit, well, how likely is this? I'm not planning on suing anyone in my small group yet. Yet. Right? Well, listen, there's a deeper thing going on. And this is where this gets really relevant for all of us. A deeper thing going on in the church. And it's what you might call the will to be right. Let's look at our second point here. The will to be right. And to understand what I mean here, you have to understand a little bit about how civil lawsuits worked in Corinth in the ancient world. See, Roman criminal law was famously fair and just, but Roman civil law actually was not. Judges and juries commonly famously expected bribes or social favors in order for a verdict to to go your way. And that's one of the reasons why Paul refers to the non-Christian judges in verse 1 as the ungodly. And in verse 4, as those whose way of life is scorned in the church, you see, they were corrupt. And the Corinthian Christians, at, at least the socially elite among them who had the resources to play this game, were paying the judges and working the system. That's what everybody did. Why would they do any differently? That's why verse 8 says, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. You see, the Corinthian Christians weren't taking each other in good faith to court in order to find a fair and equitable way to resolve their problems. They were taking each other to court to win. As one commentator explains, Wealthier Corinthian Christians were using their superior economic and social power to manipulate more vulnerable fellow believers into losing the dispute. They were gaming the system and taking advantage of their brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does this have to do with us? Here's the deeper issue. Here's the heart of the matter of this passage. We may not be resolving our conflicts by literally suing each other and paying bribes, but here's what we do do. Here's what I do do. We tend to settle our conflicts by exploiting each other's vulnerabilities and by exercising raw power. That's how we try to Figure out who's right and who's wrong. That's how we try to resolve our disputes, exploit weakness, and exercise power. And whatever power you might have. For some of us, that's the way we kind of get through our fights. We use intimidation. It might be physical intimidation. If you're a big person, or at least one that's bigger or stronger than the person in front of you. Uh, Maybe, though, it's intimidation because of the power you have in terms of your role, your capacity, Uh, the way in which you pull rank every time things get a little bit hairy because that's the only way you know how to get yourself out of a jam. Maybe you threaten consequences in the workplace or maybe just in relationships in your home or on your block. Some of us, we only know how to exercise power to get through our conflicts by raising volume, like literally, literally. You get louder. (laughs) That's the only way you know how to push through a fight. For others of you, it's wealth. For others, it's influence, social and otherwise. Maybe it's your knowledge and your expertise. You always try to run circles around people with the things that you know. Whether if it's knowledge that you know in a certain field or if it's people that you know in the neighborhood, Ways in which you are manipulating and gaming people in the system in order to, well, win. You know, I've never personally sued anyone in civil court. But I have on many occasions berated my wife with condemning words, uh, with finely crafted arguments, With presentations of evidence and witnesses, usually the kids, (laughs) just to get my way. I've never paid a judge a bribe, but I have exploited my superior theological training to win an argument with church members, even if it made them feel small. I've never used a lawsuit to take advantage of vulnerable members of the community, but I have yelled at my young kids in all of their vulnerability, not out of loving discipline for their wrongs, but just to get my way. Rather than work it out in patience and humility. You see, because I'm one are you who would rather just exercise power uh, to exploit weakness rather than just to work out the issue with patience and gentleness. I'd rather win than be weak. I'm not so different from the Corinthians. Are you? Are you? Verse 7 says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. See, so you, you can hear Paul putting his finger right on the very issue of their hearts. You're, you're completely defeated already, which is the last thing they want to hear, because all they want to do is win. Which is precisely why they've lost. Not necessarily legally, but relationally, Spiritually. The eyes of God. Paul says this amazing, amazing word in verse 7. You heard it. Maybe you even turned your ear away from it. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You see, the point of this passage isn't that Christians should never seek out legal assistance. Nor does the Bible prohibit a Christian from asserting their legal rights in a civil setting. In fact, Paul himself in Acts chapters 25 and 26 exercised his right to a fair trial as a Roman citizen. Right? The Bible doesn't prohibit that. The point, rather, is this. Is asserting your rights all you do in your relationships? Is fairness your only goal? Are you always trying to win by any means necessary? So many of us are are so afraid of being wronged, so unwilling to lose, so protective of our own interests that we're trampling on the interests of your sister, your brother, so fearful of being cheated that you'd rather cheat, so fearful of being wronged, That you really are fine with wronging other people in order to get your way. And here's the question that the Apostle is putting before us. Are you ever willing to lose the argument in order to win the relationship? Are you ever willing to lose the conflict in order to win the grace of Christ in the community? And in your relationships. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? But who wants to do that? And how are you going to do that? How can we do that? Well, let's close with this. Number three, the wealth to be wronged. How are you going to do it? You need wealth. You need emotional wealth. You need spiritual wealth. You need identity wealth. In order to allow yourselves to be wrongs like that. You need to know, the apostle tells us, that you are an heir of the king. That you are a member of the kingdom of God. You might have noticed how Paul mentions this phrase, inheriting the kingdom of God, twice in verses 9 and 10. He's drawing our attention to it. He says, listen, you're doing wrong, you're acting like a wrongdoer, but don't you know, he asks in verse 9, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he lists off several categories of sexually immoral behavior. Now this warrants much more explanation, and so we're going to study this in greater detail next week. Be sure not to miss it next week. But he also names idolaters and slanderers and the greedy. And then he says, that's what some of you were, verse 11. But that's not what you are now. You were washed of your sin, forgiven. You were sanctified, made holy, set apart in the eyes and the heart of God. You were justified, accepted by God, freely by his grace as being righteous, as having a perfect standing in God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, you will inherit the kingdom of God, but you're living inconsistently with your own kingdom identity. You are an heir, but you're living like an orphan. You are rich, and yet you are living like you are spiritually impoverished. Don't you know, don't you know the wealth that you have because you're in the family of the king? Because you've received all the treasures of the blessing of heaven in Christ. You've been forgiven of your sins. More than that, you've been declared righteous in the sight of God. More than that, you've been adopted into God's family so that you have, by covenant right, the affection of God. You can call him father. You have free access into his presence. You can strut into his presence like a child can to his or her parents and say, hey, daddy, here I am. Can I tell you about what I want and need, which is what is called the blessing of prayer. You have the eye of your Heavenly Father. He's watching out for you every single moment of your day. He knows the details of your lives. Every hair on your head is numbered by your Heavenly Father. Nothing escapes His view. You see, you have wealth upon wealth and assurance upon assurance and blessing upon blessing. Of a child who's been brought into a kingdom. Who's been made an heir. And has been given an eternal spiritual inheritance. And so you've got nothing to lose. In fact, you can in this or that fight or conflict. You can actually dare to lose. In order to love, because you're rich, you can actually be more willing to be wronged and take that risk and not just assert your rights because you have kingdom wealth that's just overflowing in your soul. You have a full heart. That sure, it hurts to be wronged, and sure, it hurts to be denied something that you feel like is actually owed to you. But you're not gonna lose your brother or your sister over it, and in fact, you have the power to do that, to persevere in the face of risk, to persevere even in the face of pain. Because you know you're a child, you're an heir, you have an inheritance that can never be taken away. And of course, this is the story of Jesus himself, your king. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Well, Jesus answered both of those in the affirmative, didn't he? Choosing a life in which he was given nothing that he was owed, none of the praise, none of the glory. Jesus, who was wronged in every conceivable way, abandoned relationally by those whom he had committed himself to, his inner circle of disciples, wronged by the legal system, wronged by those who were committed, religionists themselves, supposedly committed to the things of God, crucified instead by them, cheated by them, treated as a criminal, Jesus, who bore the Penalty and wrath of God that every one of our sins deserved, disinherited by God himself as it were, in order that we might have the rich inheritance of the kingdom of God. Jesus took that path of lowliness. Jesus took that path of losing in order to give you the victory. Uh, Jesus took that path of emotional poverty in order that you might have his wealth. Jesus is the one that gives you what you need in order to bear being wronged out of love so that you don't need to exercise raw power like you normally might or exploit weakness like you normally would, where you don't need to win the argument even at the cost of the relationship, but by newfound grace, with Christ's help, In community, you can begin to, little by little, dare to lose the argument in order to win the relationship. You have everything you need to work through these problems. You have everything you need to work out what he calls here these trivial problems, which I'm sure on some level wasn't trivial at all, took hard work, takes hard work. But this is what Christ calls you to. This is what Christ equips you for. Beloved, are you ready to love like that? Don't you know that Jesus has given you all that you need in the face of conflict, even painful, costly conflict? To love like that, indeed, to love like him. calls you to love. But don't you forget, he first loved you. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to apply this. Just let it touch and make all kinds of connections, all kinds of relationships, needs that we have. Give us grace. Most of all, give us eyes of faith to see all that you've given to us. The wealth of the inheritance of the kingdom of God that you've granted to us. Please help us now. Do this for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.